My name is Brad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hillside Church, and I want to thank you for listening to one of our messages from Hillside Church. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking today. So if it's me speaking or if it's someone else, we pray that the message you are about to hear would allow you to know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. like to join us in scripture this morning, you can join us in John chapter 14. We're not going to be there a lot this morning, but of all the places we're going to be, we're going to be there the longest. So you're welcome to to join us there, but we are going to move through a whole bunch of scripture this morning. Every year at the beginning of the year, we like to take a deep dive in our sermon series, looking and, and hopefully growing deeper in an understanding of the God that we serve. As we take a look at an intentional look, a deep look at a person or a part of the Trinity. Last year, we looked at God the Father, and this year, we're going to take a deep dive looking at the Holy Spirit. Now, just to touch on this before we begin, what is the Trinity? We believe that we serve one Lord, one God, but that one God is made up of three totally and unique, but somehow totally connected persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I heard it said like this, God himself is in community with himself. And I think that's important to be said and to be understood because sometimes we can just talk about these things as if, yeah, right, of course, well, that totally makes sense. I get it, I understand it. That God, the Trinity, will be a mystery that we will never be able to fully make sense of or fully understand. And we can recognize that and understand that right from the beginning, that this is the, the God that we serve. And, and sometimes it's confusing and it's hard and to, to make sense of it all. But there is this interesting relationship that exists inside of the Trinity where, where we see each member of the Trinity is unique. But their uniqueness also comes from their connection to one another. God the Father is God the Father because of his connection to Jesus the Son. And Jesus the Son is the Son because of his connection to God the Father. And the Spirit is the Spirit because of his connection to the Father and the Son. And their oneness, their unity, their singular desire is to bring redemption to this fallen and broken world. And more specifically, to our lives. Now, the, the Holy Spirit is definitely the most difficult to parse person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is brought into focus into the New Testament, but is more ambiguous in the Old Testament. And we're going to start into that topic a little bit next week. But today I want to begin with a look at the, the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit like? In the Old Testament, the word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit is this. It's ruach. And in the New Testament, it's this word, pneuma. And both of these words have essentially the same meaning. They both mean breath or wind, which can sometimes paint a picture of of the Holy Spirit as like an energy force or something like that. And this is an understanding and a a conception and a concept that that we essentially battle with in our understanding of the Holy Spirit, because this can cause us at times to think of the Holy Spirit less like God and more like a force that we can wield or an experience that we can have or a consciousness that we can achieve where it can become almost like a thing 
rather than God. That there's God and there's Jesus and then there's this Holy Spirit. And, and it's different. It's not the same. And, and when we understand the Holy Spirit as just this force or this concept, it, it can ha- it cause us to begin to think that way. But to really understand the Holy Spirit is to understand that the Holy Spirit's purpose is really connected to Jesus. The Spirit's primary task as a person of the Trinity is to point us again and again and again to Jesus. God himself, or God made himself known to humanity in human form in the person of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's role in our life is to again and again bring us back to Jesus and to cause and equip us to bring others to Jesus as well. And to me, this is the truest test of the move of a Spirit or an outpouring of the Spirit, or, or whatever phrase that you want to use when, when there's, there's a church and, or a movement and things begin to happen and, and weird things begin to take place, whatever phrase you want to use to that, the question that I have is, is if we're trying to decide, is this of God or is this of some other spirit, is, is it pointing people to Jesus? Is Jesus the focus? Is Jesus the main source behind this? Is it pointing to Jesus? Is the end result Jesus? And for us as a church, we desire to be a spirit-filled, spirit-led church community. And we need to be anchored to seeing the life and ministry of our church pointing the people in our church and pointing the people in our community to Jesus. That's what it means to be spirit-filled and spirit-led. I want to start our exploration of the Holy Spirit today by reading Jesus' words to his disciples as he lays out for them this coming spirit in John chapter 14, starting at verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you. And be with you forever. The spirit of truth, that's another name for the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. The the first thing that I want to point out as we begin to discover more about the Holy Spirit is this. To be spirit filled, to be filled with the spirit, is not to get more of the Holy Spirit in your life. Jesus doesn't say. Now, the Holy Spirit is coming. But initially, I'm just going to give you just a little bit. But if you show you can handle that little bit, if you're good with that little bit, then I'll give you a little more. And then a little more over time, and a little more, and a little more. And eventually, you'll be able to get all the Holy Spirit, and it'll be this amazing thing that you've achieved No, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is coming to you. No portions, no process. He is coming. When you accepted Jesus, you were given all the Holy Spirit you were ever going to get. Because the Holy Spirit isn't a thing. It's a person. Sometimes we use a phrase like being filled with the Spirit. And we can picture the Holy Spirit like a cup. And, and we, we accept Jesus and we get the Holy Spirit. But we just get a little bit. But if we sing the right songs and we really mean it, 
And we, we lift our hands and we pray and we speak in tongues and, and we pray for miracles and, and we, we give prophetic words and we do all of these things and we try to represent ourselves in a certain way and, and we can get kind of weird and, and kooky and, and do all kinds of things that, that over time God just portions out little bit by little bit by little bit of the Holy Spirit. But that's not how it works. You see, the moment you were saved, God filled you right up to the top with the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's the reality of how we came into relationship with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit, is that we were given the Holy Spirit right away. To be filled with the Holy Spirit isn't to be slowly, over time, filled up with the Holy Spirit's power. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to surrender ourselves to God's lordship in our lives through the person of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. To be filled with the Holy Spirit isn't to be slowly filled over time with Holy Spirit power, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to or surrender ourselves to, selves to God's lordship in our lives through the person of the Holy Spirit. And what we need to understand is that we're not dealing with a force. We're not dealing with a, a, a spirit or a ghost or whatever we want to use. We're dealing with a person. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time together today is to try and draw out for you from, from all different places in Scripture. So, so following along might be tough. But I would encourage you to maybe write these things down or, or write down references or whatever because we're going to move through a whole bunch of scripture, but it's all going to point us to this understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. From all over scripture, we're going to try and understand the personality of the person of the Holy Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit teaches us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11 says, For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit has knowledge, and, and that's something, but computers have knowledge. But really, computers have information. But what the Holy Spirit has isn't just information about God. It's relational, intimate, personal knowledge of God that the Spirit that lives in us has. The Holy Spirit can make known the heart of God to us because he's one with God. And this is important, that, it's important because the Holy Spirit has an intimate relationship with God and an intimate relationship with us. And so it allows for us to have this connector to the heart of God and God's thoughts. Because it's important for us to have that because scripture is clear that we can't understand God's thoughts. God himself will say, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. But we have this connector that's inside of us that allows us not just to have a knowledge dump that then we have to go and figure out. But the intimacy of the Spirit with us and with the Father allows for us to learn about God by God's presence in our lives through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit becomes like our teacher, our very best teacher. The best teachers don't just pass out information and facts and leave us to figure out what to do with them. But the best teachers, they do give us all of that information 
But then they help us see and understand what to do with that information. Teach us what it means, how it's applicable to us and to our lives. And the Holy Spirit takes what is essentially unknowable for us, God the Father, and does that very thing for us. He takes the unknowable and teaches us how to know and understand it. This is why Jesus said in John 14, 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He's a person who comes to instruct us in the deep things of God. Second, the Holy Spirit has a will. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, these are the works of of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. This not only shows us his his personality, that the Holy Spirit has a will and a desire and and thinking and and has, has the ability to discern, but it also shows us his divinity, that the Holy Spirit is sovereign, that the Holy Spirit is free to move as he see fits. One of the things that the Spirit does is to distribute the gifts of the Spirit, which is what this verse is speaking about when it says these things, these these things that they're talking about are the gifts of the Spirit. And we're going to dig into the gifts of the Spirit at a later sermon in this series. But it says that the Holy Spirit distributes them as he sees fit. But we see that the Holy Spirit has this freedom, the power and the authority to give each one as he sees fit. He doesn't have to check in first. He doesn't have to have to go to God and say, well, God, I I was thinking that, you know, Brad could really use this thing. What do do you think? Or or I was, you know, I I was really thinking that that Eric could could really use this this gift. God, what, what do you think? Can I have your permission to go and give it to him? It says he gives to each one as he determines, as he wills. Next. The Holy Spirit feels. Romans 15.30 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by, the, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Notice what it said there. By our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. Now, we'll talk a lot about the love of Jesus, and we'll talk about the love of God. But here, it talks about the love of the Spirit. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And those who've experienced the Spirit have experienced the love of Christ because the Spirit loves like Jesus loves and like the Father loves. The Spirit doesn't just reflect or show us the love of Jesus or the love of the Father. The Holy Spirit doesn't just somehow remind us that Jesus loves us. He doesn't just remind us that God loves us. He doesn't just show us a picture of Jesus' love or a picture of God's love. But the Holy Spirit loves us. He doesn't just paint us a picture of how the other parts of God feel about us. But the Spirit loves us deeply as well. And I think this is important to understand because I think sometimes we can struggle with just what the Holy Spirit is. 
And we can sometimes remove the idea of the Holy Spirit feeling an emotion towards us in our lives. But when we have the tendency to think of the Holy Spirit as a force or an entity that just simply does and isn't a person, we can lose the reality that the Holy Spirit loves you just like the Father loves you. Just like the Son loves you, the Holy Spirit loves you. He doesn't just reflect other feelings, but he has his own perfect love for you. But it's more than that. Other passages show us that the Holy Spirit feels as well, not just a reflection of the other's feelings. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You can't grieve an impersonal force. You can't offend or trouble a force, but you can do all of these things to a person. And what actually grieves the Holy Spirit is when we think about the Holy Spirit as just that impersonal force that can be wielded for our own desires and our own wants. But what the Holy Spirit wants is for the lordship of our lives to extend to him as well. When we see, we see that the Holy Spirit teaches and he feels and wills, we will come to the next thing that helps us to understand the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works. When Jesus spoke to the disciples in John chapter 14 that, that we read earlier, it's part of actually a larger speech or sermon or whatever you'd like to call it that he gives to the disciples. And, and while he talks about all kinds of different topics and subjects and different things, one theme that comes up over and over again is the Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance and he will teach. In John 15, Jesus will say that the Holy Spirit will testify of Jesus. In John 16, it will say he convicts, he guides in all truth, and he glorifies the Son. And then in other places in the New Testament, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that he searches the deep things of God. And in Romans chapter 8, it will actually tell us the Holy Spirit prays for us. Now that, that's remarkable. Because scripture will also say that Jesus is interceding for us. That, that we, we, as people, are so messed up. <laughs> We're so screwed up. That we need two-thirds of the Godhead, two-thirds of the Trinity to be intervening on our behalf and praying for us. But it's more than just a force. The Holy Spirit is more than just a force that causes us to feel a way or, or to give us these supernatural abilities to do miracles and stuff like that. The primary work of the Holy Spirit isn't supernatural gifts and stuff. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to restore a lost soul into intimate fellowship with God. And it's an important thing for us to understand because when we reduce the Holy Spirit to a force or a presence in my life or to gifts or to certain gifts, we can only focus on part of a single tree, kind of, but not even really doing that right, in the middle of a massive forest. That we take this one branch and we look at it wrong and we think, there, I've got a full picture. But you pan out and it's one branch on a huge tree in the middle of a gigantic forest. And when we take the Holy Spirit and we reduce him down to this force or we reduce him down to just gifts or reduce him down to just this sort of thing that, that is reflective of the other parts of the Trinity, but not its own person, this is how we see the Holy Spirit. Next, the Holy Spirit gives life. 
So the first symbolic picture that's used in Scripture for the Holy Spirit runs from the beginning of Scripture for, for the Holy Spirit. It runs all the way to the end. And it's something that I've already mentioned today. It's the ruach, it's the pneuma, and that means the wind or the breath of God. And this one goes all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 1. We see the work of the Spirit all the way back in verse 2 of the Bible, when it says that the Spirit brooded or, or hovered over the waters. And we see the same word picture, the, the same word where it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. The same word, the word there is ruach, and it's used again in Genesis chapter 7, or chapter 2, verse 7, when it says, then the, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath, the ruach, the same word that was used for spirit in Genesis chapter 1, breathed the ruach of life, and the man became a living being. What's meant by this, what we can take away and see from this, is that the Spirit of God is an animating, life-giving reality. In Ezekiel chapter 37, there's a prophecy about a valley of dead bodies, dead bones. that have, they've de They're not even bodies anymore. They've decomposed to where there's just bones left. And God tells Ezekiel to speak to the bones on behalf of God and say, God will put breath in you. I will put breath in you. I will put ruach in you. That same word from Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of God, God is going to put that into these bodies and you you will come to life, then you will know that I am the Lord. So what does this, this wind and breath give us a picture of? It doesn't just give us a picture of life. It's, it's not just of life, but it's something even bigger than that, bigger than life itself. It shows us nearness to the one who holds the keys to life. We see in Scripture that, that life itself is a gift of God, gift from God. From the very beginning, we don't have life unless God gave it to us. That we don't have life unless God breathed into us. That the world around us doesn't have life unless God begins it. There is no life without God sustaining it. God's Spirit is the thing that gives life to all that lives. But in the Holy Spirit, we don't just have life. Because that same word, that, that same concept that moves through Scripture, that breathed life into Adam, is the same spirit that we read about in the New Testament. But we have a chance to not just have life, but to have a life lived in relationship to the author of life. That that same spirit of God that was breathed into Adam is the same spirit of God that dwells within us. The same spirit that gave Adam life, that gave us life, lives in us and works in us. And so we have this opportunity not just for a physical life, but for an incredibly powerful spiritual life. And lastly, the Holy Spirit gives us power. John the Baptist, when he was speaking about the ministry that would come, said, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then Jesus promised the disciples that that power, they would receive it, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And then we see this moment where, where what John said about there's one who's coming who's going to baptize you with fire. And what Jesus said when he said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. In Acts chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of that with the disciples when it says suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind. The breath of God, that same concept, the Spirit of God, the wind blows from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues, other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And, and this is ultimately the turning point in church history that from this moment forward, we, Jesus followers, have been charged with the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And from that room, that day, to our church on this day, that same mission is given to us. That same power that came upon the disciples is available to each one of us today. It's available to us through the Holy Spirit who feels and acts and wills and teaches and lives inside of each one of us today. And it's the, 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 the power that was given to them that's given to us is to be used to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world around us. All of who and what the Holy Spirit is in us and is to us is all about this mission. This ministry of bringing people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not the end goal. The Holy Spirit, or the goal of our lives, is not more spirit. It's not to be more filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not to do more amazing miracles. It's not to seem more spiritual. It's not to sing Holy Spirit with more gusto. It's, it's not to have a feeling more. It's not more Holy Spirit power. Our lives and our relationship with God is not meant to be seen with that. The more that we respond to the Holy Spirit, the more that the Holy Spirit works in us, the more we need to see people coming to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is a person inside the Godhead, but his role is bringing us and all those around us, not to him, but to Jesus. We are what you would call a charismatic church. And that word for, comes from a Greek word, charisma, which that's where we get the word from, which means empowerment, like a supernatural infusing. That that's, that's what this, when you talk about we're a charismatic church, it doesn't mean that people like us, although hopefully they do. But a charismatic church means that we're a church that's been infused with, with supernaturalness with a supernatural empowerment. And, and, but this, this supernatural empowerment is not simply so that we can see miracles. It's not simply so that we can speak in tongues. It's not simply so that we can gain a reputation inside of our community that, hey, that's that weird church where weird stuff happens, or maybe that's that amazing church where amazing stuff happens. But this, this empowerment energizes us in our lives in such a way that we can move and live in him and in him working in us, coming back to him as a source and a power in our life. And this empowerment that we have in the Holy Spirit allows us to live our lives not in our own strength, but in his. That We don't have to rely on what we know because the Holy Spirit teaches us. We don't have to rely on what we can do because the Holy Spirit is at work in us. We don't have to rely on what we can create because the Holy Spirit creates life. I wouldn't get up here every single week and preach to you without the Holy Spirit. 
and hopefully experience his ability each week to bring any sort of logical sense out of the, out of the words coming out of my mouth. The fact that I'm able to say anything to you that makes sense to you, never mind impacts you, should be an absolute relief to you to show you the Holy Spirit does exist. If Brad Bristow is my pastor, the Holy Spirit must exist and he must be powerful. If you ever feel insecure about the Holy Spirit's ability to work in you, just remember to look at me and think, well, if he can use him, I must be okay. Our desire is to be a spirit-filled community. And to be a spirit-filled community means that we need to have a biblical understanding of the third, the sometimes forgotten, and often misunderstood person of the Trinity. If we submit ourselves to the lordship of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church, not chase a force, a feeling, an experience, or a power, but if we find a relationship with a personal presence in our lives, that we recognize he's not a force to be wielded, but God himself who deserves our total surrender. My heart is breaking. Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Church. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Hillside Church, there are a couple places you can go. HillsideAirdrie.ca is our website, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HillsideAirdrie. You can also look us up on YouTube and find all of our messages on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to connect to the pastoral team at Hillside, you can do that through our website, hillsideairdry.ca, and click on About Us in the main menu, and then click on Our Pastors. We're so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Hillside Church, we are a family, not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. As family we go. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. I've blamed myself. And if I'm honest, maybe I've blamed you too. But you would not forsake.